Well, good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I'm joined at the podium by the Minister for Education, Sport and Culture, our Director of Public Health and the Minister for Health and Social Care. Join us on Zoom. Let me start with the Health Minister and today's data. We will come back to some wider health and social care updates slightly later. David. Thank you, Chief Minister. The total number of tests undertaken is 51,449. The total number of tests concluded is 51,434, so there's 15 results we awaited. We have two new cases to report. Both cases are from a known source in addition to the cases yesterday. There is currently, one, so that brings our total number of active cases to 1,584. There's currently one patient in Nobles Hospital who is in ICU. I need to clarify that is a patient returning from the UK um, who, has, or who had already had COVID. So it is not one of the new cases. Thank you, Chief Minister. Thank you very much, David. I know that the cases we have seen arise over the last four hours have caused concern for many of you, and I understand that. We all knew that we would, in due course, see cases again in our community. I know we had all hoped for a bit more time before this happened. You will have seen that yesterday we reported a total of five new cases across two households. As always, for reasons of confidentiality, I am a bit constrained as to what I can say, but I will be as frank as I am able to be. The Minister told us that we have seen additional cases overnight, and I can tell you that these new positives are from a member of one of those households. Given how quickly the virus can spread, this is not unexpected. Contact tracing has been building a picture of what these cases mean, especially in terms of onward infection. Yes, we have a concern that there is a level of community transmission. There are a significant number of people in self-isolation with tests happening as we speak. Those results will help us understand what we are dealing with. You will have seen yesterday that one of the chains that the team has been following relates to Bun School Rumsair. Let me invite the Minister for Education to update us on the work underway to ensure our schools are safe for our students and staff. Alex. Thank you. As you're aware, one of the recent cases of COVID identified over the last 48 hours is a child who attends Bunskull Romsa, one of our local primary schools. The department has been in close contact with the head teacher. I'd like to thank all the pupils and parents for their understanding and support during this period of concern for the people of Ramsey. I would also like to thank the teachers and staff for their amazing resilience and flexibility. After a deep clean overnight, the school reopens this morning. 327 children went back today, which is over 67%. The contact tracing team have been in, in touch with all the families and members of staff who are self-isolating and are, are arranging testing. We will continue to closely monitor the situation and provide regular updates as soon as we have any further information. In the meantime, I'd like to stress that if any child or adult feels unwell or has symptoms of COVID, please stay at home and dial 111 for advice. Thank you, Chief Minister. Thank you very much, Alex. And I would like to add my thanks to all those from Bunskull Rumsa and other settings that have worked with our contact tracing team over the last 48 hours. One thing that has been encouraging has been that a number of settings involved have been using PPE and have social distancing regimes in place. This has made contact tracing 
easier and faster. This has allowed the team to focus their energy on those areas that cause more concern. This may be a good time to bring in our Director of Public Health for her update, Dr Hewitt. Thank you, Chief Minister. And it's obviously disappointing that it appears we do still have a level of community transmission going on um, and that the current cases are likely related to that, probably due to spread from the known transmission chains via people who remained asymptomatic or didn't come forward with symptoms. So we have those cases there and it's now a question of how we contain them and bring things back under control to prevent the rapid rise that we saw back in february march time where at the peak of the outbreak um, or as we were getting into the peak of the outbreak we saw a doubling time of cases every two days and of course that means that the number of cases grow very quickly with all the implications of that clearly we're in a better position now because more of our population has been vaccinated and have at least had the first dose, which gives the maximum um, part of the, back of the protection to be topped up by the second one later. So that is a pretty significant mitigation. We also still have a very robust test, trace and isolate system working. Um, and that will certainly, with the vaccination, do a lot towards containing things. The next element that we need to think about, though, rather than compulsory lockdown, is what each and every one of us can do to protect ourselves and protect each other by simple everyday behaviours. And that's about things like making sure we wash or sanitise our hands frequently, that we respect each other's social distance of around two metres, that we use a face covering or mask when we're in crowded areas, that we think twice about going into very crowded, poorly ventilated spaces. And if we have to or we decide we want to, staying there for as short a time as possible. If we have symptoms we should stay home and we should ring 111 and get tested and if we keep doing that that will add an extra layer of mitigation to sit against the vaccinations and the contact tracing thank you thank you very much dr Hewitt. the council of ministers of course continues to monitor the situation on a regular basis with advice from our team you may have seen yesterday that tim will unanimously approve the second version of our exit framework there was broad support for us to move from an approach of elimination to one of mitigation. A lot of people have asked us what exactly this means, and this is a perfectly reasonable question. For me and for the Council of Ministers, this means three things. It means learning to live with the virus. It means that our lives become more about personal choices. Government will only interfere and intervene when it is really necessary. But importantly, it means all of us doing what we can to reduce the impact on our community. And this is where we are today. We are not proposing to introduce any legal restrictions or requirements. One of the big differences now, of course, is our vaccination programme. Almost 53,000 adults have now had their first dose. This includes 94% of those who are most vulnerable to the virus whether because of their age or because they have a pre-existing medical condition. As I've said before, the protection the vaccine gives our wider society really is a game-changer in how we respond to the virus. Government has stepped out of your lives and we want to do everything possible to stay out, but we will not be walking away from you. 
We will continue testing and we are looking at how we can use testing differently in this new phase. Our contact tracing team will remain at a high level of readiness to intervene when we see flare-ups that cause us concern. We will be asking you as individuals or as businesses to make choices for yourself. To support you, government will also be increasing the information that is available to you. We want to give you the best information to help you make the best possible choices. Things are not business as usual. We need to be vigilant and ready to act. This is what is referred to in the exit framework as level zero. We will be raising our game and we will be asking you to do the same. Over the coming days and weeks you will see more advice and this is what it will be. Advice. We will be asking businesses to consider the risks to their employees and their customers. We will be offering advice and support on how to do that. We will be majoring on the World Health Organization's three C's. This is about how the virus spreads through close contact in crowded places and in confined spaces. We want to give you reliable and timely information on the virus and the vaccines on our island and beyond. You will hear some messages from us that will be familiar to you about how to stay safe around hands, face, space, for example. We want people and businesses to really think hard about personal distancing and face coverings. But we also really need to help people understand how important it is to stay at home if they are unwell. We know from the last lockdown that people were still going into work when they had symptoms. This needs to change. If you woke up with chickenpox one day, would you go to work? No. No, if, and if your children had chickenpox, would you send them to school? No. We need people to think about COVID the same way. We understand that some people might be scared that their job might be at risk if they don't go to work. We need to work with employers to ensure that this doesn't happen and we will be looking again at how we might financially support people who are legally required to self-isolate. We all want businesses to ensure that they are doing everything they can to ensure their customers and employees are as safe as possible and some are already doing this really well I know. As we see cases emerge over the months ahead, it would be safe to assume that those businesses who engage in best practice now could be those least affected in the future. We will work with businesses on this over the coming weeks and we will provide advice and support. But I know that a lot of our businesses are already working on this. They have facilities in place to support strong hygiene practices for staff and customers. They already have strong policies in place to ensure employees don't come into work if they are un unwell. They keep attendance records of staff and visitors in case contact tracing is needed. And they are ensuring their premises are regularly cleaned and well ventilated. Some are keeping floor markers, one-way systems and screens in place. These all feel like positive choices and are all things that businesses can consider putting in place today and government is ready to provide support and advice to businesses that want to do the right thing. One important aspect of this will be around working from home. A lot of people have got into the habit of doing this over the last year. We are not mandating this as we did during the lockdown, 
but I know a number of businesses, especially office-based businesses, have made a decision to support staff who wish to work from home for maybe some of the week, and this feels like a smart decision. I would encourage others who can do the same to do so. This is a good way to reduce daily contact in the workplace, and at the end of the day, this is the best way to reduce risk to staff and the risk of disruption to the business if a case pops up. Just before we go to questions, I would like to appeal to everyone in their 20s who may not yet have registered for their vaccine. I know some people are hesitant about having the vaccine, and I know there is a lot of misinformation out there. As we have said on a number of occasions, vaccines are a personal choice. That is important. But I would ask everyone who may be hesitant about the vaccine to consult reputable information before making a decision. We have a lot of information on our website and you can also check NHS England, for example, or speak to a medical professional. Let's take some questions. And first we have today is Josh Stokes from ITV Granada. Good afternoon, Josh. Fast am I. Good afternoon. Um, you've said the emphasis has now shifted to personal choice, but as we've seen before, the virus is here and it is spreading. We know we're moving into having to live with it, but if things are to get worse, will the government be taking responsibility for numbers rising, or could we now see the blame shifted towards the public, given you're emphasising whatever happens will basically now be a consequence of our own personal choices? How are you striking that balance between taking responsibility and simply relying on the public? Well, we've come up on a number of levels um, Josh, if, if you look at the exit framework, it, it says at this moment in time we're at level zero, where people, um, we ask them to um, wear a face mask, to think about keeping their social distancing, being responsible. If we see a significant um, rise in the number of cases, then we will have to um, go through the various stages. It starts off at zero and it moves up to up to three, um, where three is effectively a lockdown. Now, we would only hope that would happen if we see a new variant that manages to bypass part of the vaccine, for example. But we have to continue to support and protect our, our hospital and healthcare settings. They will be making their own decisions going forward on how they will protect themselves based on the number of, of, of cases. So, obviously, if people are following the advice that we are giving out, then we would hope to be able to contain this. Obviously, we will carry on with our testing and tracing and asking people to um, isolate if they are high-risk contact or if they're found to have had COVID, they'll have to um, isolate as, as per normal. Those, you know, that the legislation is still in place for that. So it's, it's working together going forward. Now that we have 94% of all our vulnerable adults vaccinated, the vaccine will ensure that they do not need to be hospitalised or have a serious reaction to COVID. They may well still feel ill, but the percentage of people now vaccinated, over 50,000 of our entire population have had their first vaccine. That enables us to not be so concerned when we see numbers of cases on the island because the high-risk people that were not protected last year are now protected from the vaccine and getting the worst cases. I don't know if, if the health minister would like to add anything to that or, or Dr Hewitt. Yeah, if I could, Chief Minister, it, it's a fine balance, really, to be honest, Josh. Between um, It's a very, very fine line to tread. What we need to do now as we move into mitigation is put power back into people's hands to make the right choices for them. So government can issue guidance. We can say, as we have done today, that we, you know, about face masks, um, about 
keeping people space and also, of course, another key one, ventilation of premises, ensuring that premises are appropriately ventilated. So we can issue that guidance, but going forward as we start to learn to live with COVID, we've got to be able to let people make their own decisions about what's right with for them. Now, as the Chief Minister has said, if the health service started coming under pressure, then that means that then other decisions might have to be taken. But we've had over the last 12 months very much a, um, a fascination around case numbers. As we go on with living with COVID, it's not so much around case numbers, but the impact of those cases that actually matters. And I, th I think that's um, a difficult perception sometimes to switch because we've had 12 months of looking very much at how many active cases are on the island, are there active cases on the island? But it's a, it's a learning culture for all of us as we go forward. Your next question, Josh. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, my second question again to you, Chief Minister. Um, in our interview at the end of the second lockdown, you said it was highly unlikely another outbreak would occur. And by the end of the month, we were in our third lockdown. What reassurance can you give the Manx public today that this same lifting of all on-island restrictions is indeed a safe one and it won't lead to a fourth lockdown? Well, you can never say never on anything, Joshua. I'm sure I wouldn't have said that. I, I don't think we'll ever get a lockdown again. I sincerely hope, I think, is, is the phrase I always use. I hope never to have to go through um, implementing a lockdown again on the, on the people of the Isle of Man. And now that 94% of our vulnerable adults are all vaccinated, we are in a much stronger position. The number of infection rates in the United Kingdom has come down significantly. I think they're down to 42 per 100,000 today, which is a very good outcome for the United Kingdom. And we are in a position where, yes, we are seeing um, a small number of cases. Let's hope it's, it's been caught in time. But worst case scenario, our people are protected to a much greater extent than they were in January than they were in, in, in March and April at the beginning of April. We've, you know, our, our vaccination team have done a fantastic um, job and, you know, the, the United Kingdom and our colleagues in the Crown Dependencies uh, are in a similar position. I think we're in a slightly better position and that's a real credit to all of our vaccination team who did start three weeks later whilst we got all the proper procedures in place. So our people, the vulnerable people um, that we can vaccinate are um, as well protected as possible now and that enables us to be more confident that we can now move into this mitigation because of that um, defence that we've been able to give our people. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much, Josh. Next, we move to Sam Turton from Jeff. Good afternoon, Sam. Fast am I. Fast to my Chief Minister. This was sort of touched on in Timwood, but just in terms of the planned dates that we have for the role, for this um, framework, if the UK level does drop to this 14 average and it drops quicker than we currently assume it will do, could we see an opening of the borders fully before the end of June? Or do you think at the minute that's looking as a pretty fixed date? Well, no, we, we've tried to say that it's not a fixed date, um, Sam. If our data and we continue to get the amount of vaccine that we've been promised um, comes to the island and we're able to administer it and the UK stays in a good place, then it may well be that we can shave a week or two off that date. But we've, we've tried to give people as clear dates as possible that we feel we can work to. But I'd just like to reassure people that if... We um, full uh, steam ahead with our vaccination programme and we have done exceptionally well um, to date with our vaccination programme. If that remains on track, we get the vaccines that we've been promised and the UK stays in a really good position, then we will 
try and move that date forward but we're not making any promises and um but that's why we've we've, we've come up with the the date at the end of june i know what the health minister would like to come in on that yeah, it's a very good question, Sam. And I think one of the important things, as with all the documents we've done throughout this pandemic when people read it, is they shouldn't get fascinated around dates. I've said this many, many times in public, and I need to emphasise it again. That is the roadmap. That is our roadmap out of this that we hope to be able to keep to. But it's not set in stone. Um, we know and we've seen over the last 12 months how many different twists and turns this virus has had. In fact, I said in Timwood yesterday that if we'd sold the script of our outbreaks to Hollywood, Hollywood probably would have rejected it as being too fanciful. So, you know, it, 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 things are constantly changing. So I think that what, what people should stop doing is worrying about the dates as such and saying this is the direction of travel. If things are better then things could move forward. If things aren't where they should be, equally, things may have to move back. So again, I would say exactly what I've said over the last 12 months with all of the documents we've released, people shouldn't get fascinated on dates. What they should be looking at is the different phases we have for getting out of this. And then by what we do at any given point, they know where we are in the roadmap. Thank you. And uh, secondly, this is probably more for the two doctors. In terms of People under the age of 16, we've had a fair number of parents say to us it's all good opening the borders, but there are concerns around schools and children who aren't being vaccinated. What level are we at to in terms of where that progress may be able to be made later in the year? And Dr. Anderson, for you for the schools, how are you going to protect them and the children that will be in them? Yeah, th thanks very much. And I've been contacted by parents with with, with that um, exact question. Um, obviously, the, the key imperative at the start of this pandemic was to protect those people who were most likely to get seriously ill, end up having to go in the hospital or unfortunately die. Now, we know that the risk of that in young people is remarkably small, and that's been, been shown inter internationally, even with the new Kent variant. So we're relatively certain that, that people under the age of 16 are low risk. None of the vaccines are currently licensed for, for people under the age of 16. And so what we're doing is working with the Department for Health and Social Care to look at when that changes, when we get the ability to give this, offer this vaccination to young people, that we have the necessary supplies to do so. And in fact, the, the Health Minister has, has said that on numerous occasions, that that's our, 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 our aim. Now, in the meantime, the, the, the real impetus is to get our community safe. And that's why I completely agree with the Chief Minister that if all adults, all people over 20 can get vaccinated, that's the way we protect our young people as well. If as a whole, we can all get vaccinated together, that's the way we will keep our schools even safer. We're doing a lot of work on our schools to keep them safe, but there will always be that risk. And what we've shown over the last couple of days is how we can deal with that risk in a proportionate way to make sure we can continue with education, continue to keep our schools functioning, but also continue to keep our vigilance and our, and our defences up. Thank you. Dr Hewitt, would you, anything you'd like to add to that? Um, not a lot to add there. Clearly, the, the trial of the Pfizer vaccine in young people is currently ongoing. That's being trialled in 12 to 15-year-olds. So we will know more um, fairly shortly. The trial in AstraZeneca was actually suspended because of the issues around the clots. But we will at least know more about the Pfizer, and that may come on stream towards the end of the year for, children, for young people. Um, but as Dr. Allenson has said, the risk of serious illness to children and young people is very, very much lower than 
other age groups in the population and there will be community protection from having high levels of vaccination in the older age groups as well. Thank you. Okay, I think that's a really, really um, valid point. I, I'd like to drive that point home that the more of the adult population that get the vaccine is the greater protection we give to AR young people. But also there are a small number of people out there who sadly due to ill health cannot take the vaccine. And if you get the vaccine and we get all of our adult population done, then you are giving protection not just to our young people but to those vulnerable people who have been unable through no fault of their own to have the vaccines i just hope everyone listening will take that on board with that we move on thank you very much sam we move on to paul moulton from isle of man television paul good afternoon fast am i thank you i think a lot of people will be tuned in today to find out what exactly happened i mean there's also been a breach of protection and procedures. Um, we're all hearing things that potentially around a key worker. I mean, obviously something's gone wrong. Has that been fixed? And is it, you know, are we in a safer place now that it won't happen again while we stay in this level of lockdown? Well, Paul, throughout the pandemic, when we've had individual cases, I'm unable to comment on them in, in great detail because it is the person's individual um, health records. I don't know if... Um, the health minister wants to come in to give as much information as he can without um, breaking any of the data protection rules. David? Yeah, yeah. thank you, Chief Minister. I'm not sure, Paul, why you're saying there's been a breach. Um, as far as we're aware, there's no breach. It's two people who have presented, they've been tested, they've come back positive, contact tracing so far has not turned up where that's come from. Uh, and I think we need to be very cautious, and I'm glad you've mentioned it, but it gives me a chance to get the message out. We need to be very careful about saying breaches. Um, I've been contacted by someone very upset um, earlier on today about what stuff going around social media, where I know there was lots of rumours yesterday about where did it come from, with various different professions, for instance, getting abuse on social media. And, and I don't think that's fair. Nobody wants to have this virus. Nobody goes out of their way to contract it. It's very important that when these things emerge, we have to remember the people who end up with the virus are victims themselves. Now, these are from an unknown source. So we need to be just a bit careful about suggesting there's been any form of breach or protocols haven't been followed that have actually led to this. Because certainly, as far as I'm aware, as Minister for Health, that certainly isn't the case. These are two cases from an unknown source, just as we had many cases from an unknown source during the, during the uh, last month or so, the last uh, earlier in Feb late February. You yeah, could say, though, because there's been so many hairs running, putting a little bit of information out there would maybe take away the pressure from the people who are quite rightly upset that they're being blamed for this. What we've got to do, Paul, is ensure that we maintain people's personal confidentiality. We can't go out giving information that would identify the individuals. That's unfair on them as well. Um, we have given out what information we can, which is there's two cases from unknown source. And I make it absolutely clear on the record here that as far as I'm aware as minister, those two individuals have done absolutely nothing wrong. They are, they are victims in this, in the fact they have contracted this dreadful virus. Okay, uh, my second question, uh, you're saying advising people maybe to work at home, be you know, more socially distanced. As employers yourself, you know, of the civil service, are you telling people there or recommending that most civil servants where possible now should be working from home until further notice? Well, I know the Chief Secretary will be communicating with all government um, em employees on this topic and, and giving advice 
on this. So it's, it's where possible. Obviously, um, we have to run a government, we have to provide services to people which are face-to-face, -face, but where um, the Chief Secretary and his team feel it's necessary, it's if the, where we can, then obviously we will be looking in, into that. Thanks very much, Paul. Okay, next we have Paul Hardman from Isle of Man Newspapers. Good afternoon, Paul. Fast am I. Fast am I, Chief Minister. My first question is also along the lines of how can we pursue a mitigation strategy when we still have this unvaccinated student population? What would prevent another sharp surge in cases from schools like we saw, say, in early March? And as Dr. Alston just said, while young people are very unlikely to become seriously ill, are there not all still other negative outcomes like long COVID that could result from such a surge in schools? Yeah, I'll let Dr. Allenson take this. Alex? Yes, yeah, so I, I mean, in terms of a mitigation strategy, it is trying to deal with that risk and reduce it as much as possible, but be conscious that that risk will, will continue if we want to have a normal society, if we want to have all our schools open. So in terms of, of your specific comment about long COVID, yes, we, we know that young people can be affected by, by COVID. The, the information in terms of the, the rate of long COVID is still up for discussion. There are various different viewpoints on this um, because it's relatively new that it's affected young, young people and we'll need to do some follow-up studies. What we're saying in terms of protecting our school communities is actually take those as part of the whole community. Again, make sure the vaccination programme carries on. Make sure those young people who may be thinking, oh, I'll leave it for a couple of months, get vaccinated now. I mean, we're, we're one of the few places in, in, in the United Kingdom or the British Isles where anyone from the age of 20 can go online and register for the vaccination and it's waiting for them please get vaccinated so we can protect our whole community in the same way as we used to do with flu protect young people by protecting the by vaccinating the old we can do this with coronavirus as the science and the evidence develops we will be able to offer vaccination for, for young people and there are various studies going on of how we can provide that for instance um, over the last couple of years, we've been offering the flu vaccination to young people through a nasal spray. So all these things will, will develop, all these things will come in online. But to buy that time, we need the rest of the population to do the right thing, to, to actually look after themselves, to make those choices for themselves, but also to get vaccinated. Thank you, Chief Minister. Thank you very much, Dr. Hanson. And your next question, Paul. Uh, my second question for the Health Minister. Has the emergence of these new cases this week affected the planned reopening of care homes next Monday on April 26th? Well, that these days in the new world is a matter for Manx Care rather than myself. <laughs> um, but um, what, but my, I, I certainly haven't been made aware of any issues in relation to the reopening at the moment, but I'm sure discussions will be ongoing. One of the things, of course, is in relation to care homes, we have vaccinated. Um, I know that um, I think most people now have the second dose in those settings as well. So we have already provided maximum, um, maximum protection. That would be a matter for Manx Care now in the new health world that we live in. Um, but certainly I've not been aware of any changes at the moment to the schedule. Thank you. Thanks very much, Paul. Now we move on to Rob Pritchard from 3FM. Good afternoon, Rob. Fast am I. Pastor Mike, Minister, my first question to the Health Minister. We're aware of some under-30s being offered the Oxford jab at the moment for one reason or another, even though they are meant to be getting the alternative where possible. Just for clarity, for anyone who is being offered the Oxford jab and they are under 30, could you explain the reasons why they may be offered that instead of the alternative that it's meant to be at the moment? 
Well, that, that's a very that's a very good question. Perfect timing, Rob, to raise it. Because there seems to be some misconception again about what the JCVI actually said. The JCVI did not say that people under 30 should receive the FISA jab. What they said is where an, where an alternative is available, then they should be offered um, that alternative. So where there's an alternative to AstraZeneca, where there isn't an alternative to AstraZeneca, then AstraZeneca should still be offered and people should still get vaccinated. And they made absolutely clear the JCVI that the guidance was not um, due to safety concerns. The guidance was due to an abundance of caution. So where we have Pfizer available, that will be offered to the under 30s. But with the numbers that have been registered, we haven't got enough Pfizer to cover that at the moment. So it would mean people waiting until the stock, we get a set amount of Pfizer that arrives each week. So in the meantime, those under 30 may well be offered AstraZeneca. They do have the right under 30 to turn around and say, no, actually, I want to wait for the Pfizer. But we are following the exact advice, the JCBI, that is where an alternative is not available, they should still be offered AstraZeneca. Thank you. As a, just as a supplementary to that one, are you worried then that because certain under 30s may not feel comfortable at the moment having the Oxford jab for whatever reason, that certain Oxford jabs may be wasted? No, um, the, in terms of Oxford and AstraZeneca, we can, um, we can break the trays in a way that we can't with Pfizer because it's not the frozen down packed trays. So AstraZeneca, thankfully, is very, very different in that regard. But it's a good time for me to get the message out, Rob, because one of the things we need to do is for young people to come forward and get registered because we know from our supply routes that come the 10th of May, we will be focusing on second doses. And with the, with the supplies that we will have, that will be the pure focus. So if anyone isn't registered and booked in for a vaccine by the 10th of May in those age groups, they may have to wait up to six to eight weeks before we would have the supply to be able to vaccinate them. So it is important, as the Chief Minister and Dr Allenson have just said throughout this conference, for young people to come forward as soon as possible and actually take up the offer of a jab because they're helping to protect our islands and also including those who can't for whatever reasons have the jab and also the fact that what we don't want is people thinking about it too long coming forward too late when we've got to focus on delivering those second doses within 12 weeks only to find that they themselves for their first doses then have to wait six to eight weeks thank you my second question for the education minister just to put a scenario to you dr allenson um, if we do see a situation where a school sees a COVID case or several cases, and we may see uh, entire classes or even entire schools in a worst case scenario having to isolate, but other schools are still operating as normal, what measures are in place to make sure that those students who do have to isolate don't then become part of a disadvantage for at least a couple of weeks compared to children of the same age in other schools who would still be operating as normal? Yes, and I think that's a very good question. What we've tried to do is have an appropriate and proportionate um, response. So you're quite right. As soon as we get a case in a, in a school, an outbreak management team is formed, which includes the track and trace um, service, the director of public health as well, and the teacher of that school together to assess the risk and then deal with it. Um, for, for instance, yesterday, obviously, when we had to send that class home um, from Bund School Romsa, one of the one of the people that we were asked to self isolate was their teacher. Their teacher is automatically 
started remote learning for, 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 the, for their class, even though they're all self-isolating. And we learned through last year the, the, the value of remote learning. We've refined the way it can be provided, either online or in paper form. And we will make sure that that support is provided to those schools to carry on those children's education while they're having to self-isolate. We're also obviously looking at how else we can support them, whether through um, pastoral care, whether through mental well-being, and all these sort of things so that when they come back into school, um, when they're out of self-isolation, they can pick up where, where they left off without that deficit. Um, in terms of having to close a whole school, we would continue exactly the same um, and, and do that. And certainly the department is working with head teachers to support them to provide the best level of education they can. At what is actually quite a difficult time for, for those pupils who have got to get, meant to be getting exams and trying to get the grades that they want, we've got to look after these people to make sure that they can move on to, to the next part of their education. Thank you. Thanks very much, Rob. And now we move on to Tim Glover from Manx Radio. Good afternoon, Tim. Faster my. Faster my. Good afternoon. All the variants of concern that we hear about are now confirmed in the UK. How concerned are you by the Brazil, Indian and South African variants? And what evidence is there now for in each of them uh, having the potential to uh, undermine the vaccination rollout, the current vaccine that we have? Well, I think Dr. Hewitt is best placed to answer that far better than me. So, Dr. Hewitt, would you like to answer that, please? Thank you, Chief Minister. Um, firstly, the Indian variant is still under investigation, so it's a variant under investigation rather than a variant of concern. And we don't yet know what it does either to transmissibility, seriousness of illness or potential to evade the vaccine. The South African variant we know does seem to be able to evade the vaccine, um, not entirely, but people were becoming more ill with it um, than in populations in the trials that didn't have the South African variant. So it reduces the efficacy of the vaccine. And the Brazil one as well is of concern for that. Um, so the short answer is we want to do our best to keep them all out. Um, at the moment, as we don't have any direct um, flights from those places where they are, we're really reliant on the UK. And once we open borders and as and when we have um, direct links to Ireland, we'll also be reliant on Ireland um, to do most of the, the management of that, which they are doing with the quarantine hotel and testing arrangements that both those countries have. Obviously, the fact that variants are beginning to get at least a toehold in the UK is of concern. Um, and there is a tiny amount of community spread, perhaps a little bit more than tiny, actually, if we look at the London um, current clusters of the South African variant. So again, we have to watch that very closely and see to what extent the UK are managing that and containing those outbreaks. And obviously that knowledge, that intelligence will have to feed into our consideration of border policy and the decisions that are made here. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. And the second question, uh, the personal choices, uh, staying off work uh, when ill, you very heavily emphasise, but there's not really a level playing field out there. What about the self-employed, those struggling for money, those on zero hours contracts? What choices have they got when putting food on the table is their priority in life? 
Look, a very good point, um, Tim. That's why I, I did have in my speech that we were looking at um, ways of helping those people through financial support if they are made to isolate by government. So um, that's something that's being worked on as we speak to enable those people who aren't entitled to any sick pay from their company, etc., to access funds to enable them to take time off if we as a government ask them to as a result of, of having the test and, and being positive. Thank you. Thank you all very much um, for, for your questions today. Um, please do everything you can to keep you and your loved ones safe. Dealing with and living with COVID on our island will be less and less about government and increasingly more about personal choice. As we step out of your lives, we need you to make the right decisions. Stay safe. Thank you all very much. Bye-bye. <laughs>